Thank you, choir, worship team, orchestra. Thank you all for being here today. Good to see all of you. Hebrews chapter 13, if you have your Bible, we're going to continue to worship through the Word. Hebrews chapter 13. Now let me say a couple of things. Uh, number one, I hope you're sharing the gospel with someone. Have you taken your New Testament yet and had a chance to walk with someone uh, through that? If not, let me encourage you to do that. Ask the Lord to open a door this week for you to witness to someone, share Jesus with them, invite them to accept Christ, uh, pray for them, bring them to church with you. If they do accept Christ, bring them so they can be baptized and we can begin the process of discipleship. And so let's keep about the work of evangelism. Second thing I want to say this morning is I just want to give an update on the outdoor ministry. They had a great week. I was getting text. Uh, Stephanie and I both were getting texts from different members of the uh, outdoor ministry group just talking about what God was doing. They had some powerful evenings of, of a devotion and testimony time. God moved among them and, and just really uh, spoke to some different areas of life to help grow Christians and then uh, even to affirm the, the salvation of one person who went with them. And so just keep praying that God continues to bear fruit through that. I'm so grateful for that ministry and how God is using that ministry. Well, I'm going to ask you now to pray with me, and we're going to dig in the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful, Lord, for this day. I'm thankful for your many blessings. I thank you for allowing us to be here, to gather in your name, to worship you, to serve you. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here. Lord, I pray you'll open our hearts and minds now to receive the word you have for us. And I pray you'll help me to preach, Lord, because I can't do this without you. I need clarity of mind and clarity of speech that comes from you. I need the touch of God on my life right now, Lord. And I pray you'd strengthen me with your power, protect me from the enemy. And Lord, I pray that you will use me to glorify you through the preaching of your word. Lord, may we receive what you have for us today. So I commit this time to you. Lord, help me. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 25 is our text today. Today we're going to finish up our series in the book of Hebrews. We've entitled this series, Greater, a study of the book of Hebrews. It's entitled Greater because Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. That's the point that the writer's trying to make to those early Christians to encourage them to stay faithful to Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the Son of God. He is Creator. You know, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Creator of the universe. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were all involved in the creation act. And the Bible clearly ascribes to the Lord Jesus that He is Creator. He is the very agent of creation. But he not only is the one who was used in creation, but he also is the one who sustains the universe. Every natural law is put in order by the word of the Lord. And Hebrews chapter 1, the scripture tells us that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 says that he is before all things and in him all things consist. That word consist means hold together. So he is the one who sustains the universe. He is the glory of God. He is the expressed exact image of God. The scripture tells us here in the book of Hebrews. 
And he is the sovereign Savior who purges the sins of any man, woman, boy, or girl who admits their sinfulness and turns to Jesus Christ in repentance and believes on him for salvation, calls on him to save them. That person's sins are forgiven. And as Brother Bobby said a moment ago, we're made righteous in the sight of God. That's what Jesus does for those who calls on him. He is the only mediator that exists between God and man. No one can get to God except through Jesus Christ. The Lord himself <clears throat> said that in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no way to God, no way to eternal life apart from Jesus Christ. He is the one who allows us to go into the very presence of God. He is the one who gives eternal life to all who believe in him. He allows us to be a part of an eternal kingdom that none of us, even the greatest minds that exist today or ever have existed, cannot fathom all the riches of the eternal kingdom to come for those of us who know the Lord. Oh, what a Savior Jesus is. And when you have Jesus, you have everything. There's an old hymn that goes like this. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace be still in all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. If you know it, sing it with me. Soon is coming back to welcome me, far beyond the starry skies. I shall wing my flight to worlds unknown. I shall reign with him on high. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Boy, y'all sound good this morning. There's no one like Jesus, is there? And when you have Jesus, you have everything. And that's the point the writer of Hebrews is getting across to these early Christians. Don't walk away from Jesus. Don't ignore Him. Don't disregard Him. Don't love the world more than Him. <clears throat> but stay faithful and endure in your walk with Him. And these are words for us today. Because just as they were facing difficulties, so are we. We're facing increased pressure in our culture and hostility toward the things of God. And we need to be encouraged to recognize how blessed we are to know Jesus. Now look with me, if you will, beginning in verse 17, because what he's doing here is he's kind of closing out things. And I'm not going to get into every word and detail of these final verses, but I want us to leave here understanding uh, three commands given uh, by this writer that was encouraging to those Christians in that day and is also encouraging to us. So here's what the Word of God says, beginning in verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. 
Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Now, the main idea of this message is that we must please God by submitting to spiritual leaders, praying for them, and the saints of God, and doing the will of God. Now, there's a lot in these final instructions that are given here, but there are three simple commands that have a lot of application to them. Now, remember, again, these Christians are being persecuted. They're facing oppression. They're facing cultural attacks. They're living counter to their culture. And because of that, they're facing some hardships. And they need to understand these instructions and stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and to please Him. Now, remember, if we back up just a little bit into chapter 12, and uh, those last few verses of chapter 12, beginning in verse 25, through verse 29 were a summary of what he'd been trying to teach them the entire book. And he says something in verse 28 that we need to pay attention to again, and I've called attention to this several times in the past couple of weeks. But here's what verse 28 says. Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Serve God acceptably. That is, pleasingly is what that means. That means that we serve God by living life to please Him. Now that theme is, is pretty emphasized in chapter 13. Verse 16, he talks about how that we're to do good and to share with others. Because with such sacrifices, God is well pleased, verse 16 says. And then we get over to verse 18, and he's asking for prayer, and he says, you know, we as leaders, are, we have a good conscience, and here's why we have a good conscience, because we desire to live honorably. To live honorably means to live pleasingly to the Lord, to live in such a way that honors Him, that brings glory to Him. And then in verse 21, he's praying for this church, for God to work in them so that they would do what is pleasing in His sight. And so it means to, that we're to live life to please Him, to serve Him. That's what we're called to do as the people of God. So how can we do that? How, how can we please God? That's what life should be about for us. Well, these, these last three commands and all the application that results from them helps us understand how we can, how we can please God. So look at the first thing. Look at verse 17. Here in verse 17... The Word of God is teaching us this. If we're going to please God, 
They will do so by submitting to our spiritual leaders. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, we've already seen in this study how that he has highlighted the need for those within the church to pay attention to their spiritual leaders, to obey those who lead them, to uh, listen to the teaching that they teach, to follow and imitate their life uh, if they are living obediently to the Lord. Remember, the Bible says there, verse 7, considering the outcome of their conduct. So you, you imitate the faith that they're living out uh, in their lives. Three times in chapter 13, if we also include verse 24, he's emphasizing the spiritual leadership within the church. And there are two imperatives, two imperative verbs that he gives. The first one is obey. The second one is translated with two English words, be submissive. But it's one Greek verb. It's, a, it's in the imperative, which means it's a command. The first one, obey, it's in the present tense. It means to keep on obeying. You might translate it, continue to obey or, or, or obey on a regular basis. Now, the word be submissive is a stronger word than the word obey. And it's very specific. And it communicates that Christians, when they're in the congregation of believers and their leaders are delivering the Word of God, which is our authority... And those who are in that congregation are listening to what's being taught, but they are resisting it. They're at odds with it because it doesn't match up with their desires. It doesn't match up with their rationale. It doesn't match up with what their culture is impressing upon them. And so they're at odds. And what the Word of God is saying is those in the congregation should be submissive to those teachings. You should not follow your desires if they're counter to the Word of God. That's what he's communicating here. Now, he's talking about the authoritative teaching of the Word of God by these leaders. And when spiritual leaders are teaching the Word of God accurately and they're bringing application and they're encouraging the people of God to obey what God's Word says, then they have a responsibility before God to submit to that teaching and to live it out. They're not to be simply hearers of the Word of God, but they're to be doers of the Word. And they are to listen to those shepherds, those under-shepherds that God has sovereignly placed in those congregations. Although we can all understand Scripture, although every one of us have access to God through the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way, we don't need a, a priest or a pastor to be some mediator for us between God and man. We have direct presence, uh, direct access to the presence of God. Through Jesus Christ, God has placed an oversight of congregation spiritual leaders. And those spiritual leaders are gifted with the gifts of shepherding. They're gifted with the gifts of teaching. And they are to teach the Word of God. When the teaching from the pulpit matches your study from the pew, then guess what? You're affirmed in your understanding of Scripture. And so there needs to be that spiritual leadership within the church, and we should pay attention to that, and we should obey the teaching coming from those leaders. Now, that is if they're teaching the Word of God. If they're not teaching the Word of God, then we have no responsibility whatsoever to, uh, to um, listen to that, 
But we do have a responsibility to do something about the false teaching that he's teaching. <laughs> and there are steps to take for that also. Now, let me just tell you something about spiritual leadership. It's often misunderstood by some because some misuse it. Some abuse that authority. It does not mean that pastors are to be dictators and tyrants and whatever they say goes and this kind of thing. There are people who do that. There are people who manipulate and abuse and, and use that authority in, in wrong ways, and that's not what's being talked about here. There are some who do this for their own gain, and they try to exercise some kind of authority over a congregation for their own gain, and God will judge them. He will judge them. But let me tell you what the Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 about spiritual leaders. Peter said this, The elders who are among you I exhort. Now let me, let me tell you something about that word elder. The word elder, the word overseer, and the word pastor are used interchangeably in Scripture for the same office. And it's the office that we would call a pastor. Pastor, elder, overseer, all the same office of spiritual leadership within the church. Peter knows that he is an elder and he's addressing his fellow elders or overseers or pastors. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers, that is, providing overall leadership, not by compulsion, not, not because you're made to, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. That is, you're not to be a tyrant, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, what is it these leaders are to do? Notice what verse 17 says in chapter 13. They watch out for your souls. That is, they watch out for your spiritual well-being is what uh, that is saying there. Leaders are to have <clears throat> compassion over the congregation they're called to serve. They are to teach, <clears throat> they are to exhort, they are to encourage them to obey the word of truth because one day they're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for how well that's been done. What I know one day is I'll stand before the Lord to give an account for the spiritual leadership teaching that I've provided over the years here uh, and also other places where I have had that charge. We're to give an account. And the Word of God says that when the Holy Spirit of God calls someone to be an overseer of a congregation, and He does that because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul's addressing the Ephesian elders, and he tells the Ephesian elders about the fact that the Holy Spirit has, has called them and given charge over, that, over those congregations. They are to care for the spiritual well-being of those in that flock. And it's very beneficial to the people of that flock to listen to that leadership and apply the teaching of the truth of God because the Word of God says they should be able to provide this oversight with joy. 
Now, how is it that a spiritual leader has joy over the flock? That's when the flock of God is listening to the teaching of God. They're obeying the word of truth. They're growing in the Lord. And therefore, he has, he's encouraged deeply, and the joy of the Lord's in his heart because he sees that. But when they do not do that, there's grief. There is great levels of emotional stress and distress in his life over the rebellious who are obstinate toward the things of God. And sometimes he can become so overwhelmed by that that it distracts him from ministry. It distracts him from the mission. So it's not beneficial for the people of God because it will hinder his ministry to them when there is a rebelliousness and an obstinance toward the teaching of God's Word and there's not an not a adherence to it. But also it does not benefit the congregation because, listen, just as the teacher has responsibility to teach and will give account before the Lord one day about that, so too will each one of us give account for how we have taken God's truth and lived it out. And if we've heard it and heard it and heard it, yet we don't do it, then we're going to be, have a higher level of accountability than someone who maybe never hears that truth that some of us have heard. So we're to obey the truth. And so we go deeper in our walk with God. Now, again, this scenario, this instruction I'm giving you right now is when the teaching of God's Word is being done properly. You have no obligation to submit to false teaching, but you should do something about that. (laughs) It's for our own good and for the glory of God that we obey the teachers that God has placed in our lives and we move on in our walk with God. And so if I'm going to be faithful to the Lord and pleasing to Him, then I need to Submit to those teachers he's placed in my life who are teaching the Word of God, and I'm to live that out. Second thing we see here is found in verses 18 through 21. And that is that we're to please God by praying for your spiritual leaders and for all the saints. Now, let me just say something here as a word of clarification. Probably most of you know this, but I don't take this for granted. Uh, Saints is not some venerated dead Christian. A saint simply means holy ones, and it means every Christian. So every Christian is a saint. And so when I say here, and I'm taking this from verse 24, by the way. I think it's 24. Hang on a second, I'll tell you. Yeah, 24. (laughs) When we're praying for spiritual leaders... We're also to be praying for the saints, which is all the church family. Prayer is key in the Christian life. It's key to us maintaining a faithfulness also. The writer of Hebrews is a spiritual leader, and he's requesting prayer. He knows he needs prayer. And and he knows if the people of God will pray for him, it will make an incredible difference. He knows if he's prayed for and he's doing his part in his spiritual disciplines, it will result in spiritual health and power in his life. And when he is healthy spiritually, then so too is the congregation so often. So often the congregation goes the way the spiritual leader goes. 
If he is unhealthy spiritually, then many times the whole congregation will be unhealthy spiritually. If he is healthy spiritually, oftentimes the whole congregation will be healthy spiritually. The Apostle Paul himself uh, used to call on churches to pray for him. This great apostle understood something. And all of his intellect and all of his abilities that he had been given, he knew that he was nothing without God. He knew he needed the power of God that would come when God's people prayed for him. And so this uh, leader is requesting prayer for him that he might continue on in faithfulness. Verse 8 says, pray for us. It's a command. It's a present tense imperative in the, in the Greek. Keep on doing this. It's one of several commands to pray that we find in Scripture. And if we could just get a grasp, my brothers and sisters, if we this morning could get a real grasp of the power of prayer, then it would drive us to pray. I think sometimes we don't think our prayer is making that much a difference. That's why when you call for a prayer meeting, you get about 10 to 30 people. And you call for a feeding meeting and you get about three or 400. People don't want to pray. Sometimes I think people don't know how to pray. Sometimes we might think that it's just a, 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 just a waste of our time. We just kind of go through the motions. I, if we're serious about it and we come with the right heart and we come with faith, we can expect God to use our praying Mightily, I believe what we've been doing on Sunday nights makes a difference. And it might seem sometimes that we come together and it just, maybe it seems to some that we just kind of go through the motions at times, but I'm telling you, God's been answering prayers. He's been moving and He's been working. And if God's people would just get hold of this again, how we need to pray and what a difference prayer makes, it would be incredible. Drive us to pray and we'd see God move in great and powerful ways. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to pray for me. And he says, listen, pray for, for us. That's his, his team of leaders. <clears throat> and he said, you know, we, we've, we've got a good conscience toward God, so keep praying for us. And why'd they have a good conscience toward God? Because they had the right desire, the right motivation. What was their motivation? They desired to live honorably. They desired to please the Lord. All of their life was to please the Lord. Do you know that's, that's what God wills for you and me? You know that? He wants us to please Him and everything. Let me ask the question. Do we live life right now to honor Him? Do you live life right now to honor Him? When you get up in the morning, do you think, I'm going to honor the Lord today? You spend time with Him, you read your Bible, and you say, I want to honor Him in my attitudes, in my actions, in my thoughts, <clears throat> how I treat others how I do my job, how I take care of my family, how I do in school, everything I want it to be done in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're to live the Christian life. Too many Christians are running around thinking, you know, I think God has something for me. I just wish He'd show me what it was, maybe make a sign on the side of the road somewhere or send me an email or a text or whatever and let me know exactly what it is He has for me. Listen, He's given you a Bible. Go and live it out. That's what He wants you to do. <clears throat> he wants you to honor Him in that way. And He will do more in that than you could ever imagine. Sometimes we're always thinking we've got to have this big platform to really make a difference for people. No, if we just live life to honor Him, He will use that in ways we don't even know. 
We won't know it till we stand before Jesus someday. And so he is saying, I, I have a desire to live honorably, so pray for me. I'll tell you this, prayer helps us live a holy and honorable life. And I can tell you as a pastor, I desperately need your prayers. And when someone tells me they're praying for me, I don't just take that for granted. I don't just say, oh, that's great, and, just, and not even think about it. I take it serious, and I am grateful for people who pray for me. I am grateful for that. I know I need it, and I know that uh, without the prayers of God's people, I would be weaker. <clears throat> I think of uh, Miss Judy Whittington. Miss Judy can't come to church because of her health issues, but she watches us online every week, and she calls sometimes, uh, maybe every day on cer certain weeks, but she calls a couple times a week to check in, see what I was going on, who needs prayer, checks in on me, tell him I'm praying for him. And when I hear those kinds of things, it means so much to me to know that she is petitioning our Father on my behalf. It makes a difference when God's people pray. In the day in which we are living, we need to be praying for our spiritual leaders who are compromising and caving and falling and, and, and being crushed by the enemy left and right. And I think sometimes maybe it's because the people of God, we're just not interceding as we should for our leaders. Or each other, for that matter. We must pray for one another. But notice in verse 9, he asks, or excuse me, verse 19, he says, But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. So he's asking, I want you to pray for me because if you'll pray, I, I, I have, I'm confident that God will move in such a way that I'll be back with you sooner. That's the kind of confidence he had in prayer. See, God can do the impossible. And, and I think we need a, a fresh understanding of that, don't you? A fresh realization of the power that comes through prayer. But in verse 20, we see that he begins to pray for the congregation. And he says there in verse 20, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, so he starts praying for them. And we need to pray for each other. Pray for our leaders. Pray for one another in the congregation. And let me tell you something about this text that I find interesting. And this, this prayer... This hope that this writer has for these Christians, we can learn at least two things about prayer. The first thing that we can learn is knowing God intimately changes how you pray, increases the joy of prayer and the confidence in praying. You see all of that in, in what he and how he prays for this congregation. You know that he has an intimate knowledge of God because he starts it out by saying, now may the God of peace. You know what this dear brother has realized in his Christian walk? That God is the God of peace. He not only has provided peace with him through Jesus Christ so that those who are sinners can be forgiven and now be at peace with God, he provides peace within. Listen, you cannot have peace without God. You cannot have a peace in every circumstance of life without God. Because, see, the world's peace 
is dependent upon methods of, okay, let me just breathe correctly and all of this and try to get my mind trained and not think on this or that and everything in my life, the circumstances need to kind of line up right. That's when we have peace. Now, I've lived long enough to know this. Things line up just right where you're at peace by your circumstances, about five minutes of your existence on this earth. It doesn't last long, does it? And something happens to disrupt that peace. But I'll tell you this, when you know the God of peace, He gives you peace that you can't even understand. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says that He'll provide peace that surpasses all understanding. That is, it doesn't even make sense to have it in the circumstance you're in. But you know the God of peace. So He just begins to pray, and as He begins to pray... It's a blessing to anybody that hears it because we're reminded of something that he has learned from intimate knowledge that God is the God of peace. And he's also the one who raised Jesus from the dead. First time he mentions the resurrection in this entire letter. That's interesting, isn't it? But it's great to be reminded that we do serve a living Savior, isn't it? Then he calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. That gives me chills thinking about that. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Now that means he's always with us. That means he guards us. That means he guides us. That means he takes care of us. He nurtures us. He leads us up to the mountaintops. He leads us down into the valleys. He leads us throughout life all the way to the, to the nourishment we need, all the provision that we need, because He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's your shepherd this morning. Do you need that? Do you need to hear that like I need to hear that this morning? The great shepherd of the sheep. Well, who are the sheep? Those that through His blood, that means His death, have been brought into an eternal relationship with Him. Notice He talks about that everlasting covenant, that eternal covenant that we're a part of. That's a great reminder when you go before the Lord in prayer is to remember the fact that you're part of an eternal covenant with God. Now, that, that's encouraging. And so when we have this intimate knowledge of God like this writer obviously did, it affects your praying. It'll bless you before you even get to your prayer request. <laughs> the second thing we learn about prayer in this is that uh, when we pray, a primary prayer request should be for the obedience of God's people. That is, we should be praying for us to do the will of God. That's what he prays in verse 21. He prays that God will make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we're praying. Lord, help us live out the Word of God every day. Help us to obey you every day. Help us to live honorably for you every day. And, and so he's, he's emphasizing the importance of prayer. If we're going to stay faithful to the Lord, then we've got to pray for our spiritual leaders because if they fall, a lot of times many will, will fall. 
And we're to pray for each other to stay faithful and to live out the word of truth every day. Prayer makes a difference. And then finally, he tells us here, a third way we're going to stay faithful and please the Lord is we're to please God by doing the will of God for His glory. And I've been talking about that. But let me read these verses to you again. Look at verse 21 and following. Make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation. That's key to understanding this point also. For I have written to you in few words. Now, he, he must have been a preacher like me. Few words. Maybe now you can read this thing in less than an hour. Uh, you, know, you just start reading through Hebrews. So there's a biblical precedence for long sermons. I just wanted to make that point known to y'all. So anyway. Anyway, we'll move on. Verse 23, Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. In two places here, in those verses I just read, there's a strong emphasis to do the will of God. Through the work of the Lord, we're to do God's will. Now, let me just tell you something. You don't ever obey on your own. You say, what do you mean by that? Every one of us have a responsibility to obey the word of truth. But listen, it's not our own ability that allows us to obey the truth. When we surrender to obey the truth, you better believe it's the power of the Holy Spirit who enables it. Reminds me a lot of what Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, that He works in us to will and to do for His good pleasure. The Word of God says there. Do you know He works in us so that we obey Him and live out His will the way we're called to as the people of God? When we obey His will, it glorifies Him. It, it honors the Lord. You can't go through life living for you and, and think that you're glorifying the Lord. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the Lord Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So they see your good works. That means you're doing the will of God. And they glorify God because of it. 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 12, talks about how that we're to live honorably in the sight of Gentiles so when they even speak evil of us they may by uh, our good works glorify God in the day of visitation that means that his coming so do you know when we're living out the will of God and we're witnessing as we're called to and we're living a holy life do you know that there's going to be people that's going to that's going to believe the gospel they're going to come out of darkness they're going to be saved because you've lived a life that honors and glorifies God. He desires us to do His will. Do you know the Lord Jesus even said that one of the easiest ways to tell if a person truly knows Him as Lord is by their obedience to the will of God? Did you know that? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven 
but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. There's a lot of people around here that say they're Christians. Have you discovered that? Most people you come in contact with say that they're Christian. So a lot of people say that Jesus is their Lord. But Jesus is their Lord if they are living out the will of God. That's how you know that they've surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. It's when they're living in obedience. Matter of fact, the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. So how do we know that we know God if we're obeying Him? That's a sign of assurance that we've been converted. And true believers are to be those who are faithful to do God's will which is obeying the Word of God. And he says over in verse 22, he says, bear with the word of exhortation. The word bear means to receive. That word exhortation was used in Acts 13, 15 to describe a sermon. In those days, you would, just like today, you read a text, then you explain the exhortation. You explain how to live this out as you explain the text. That's what was happening there. And he says, receive that. Receive what I've just written to you and, and live it out. He's, he's telling them again to do the will of God. But that's how we're to live out our Christian life, by, by obedience to God's Word daily. And everything we do, every thought, every action, every business deal, uh, every interaction with persons should be done in accordance to God's Word. That's why it's so important for us to know the Word of God, hide it in our hearts so that our steps would be directed by the Lord. And that's why Satan will do everything he can to discredit this. You, you ever wondered why this book is attacked so much? You ever wondered why that even among those who are professing Christians that there's a large percentage that say this is not authoritative for their life? You know why that is? Because Satan does everything he can to keep you from living out the will of God. Because that glorifies God and it makes a difference in others. Do you know why he'll do everything he can to keep you from reading your Bible, studying it so you live it out? You know why he'll bring every peer pressure, every cultural pressure against you to uh, discourage you from living out the will of God in your personal life? Because he knows how it will glorify God and how it will make a difference. What we're to do is to obey the truth of God. God desires us to live out life in obedience to Him. So we must remain faithful. We need to remain faithful in the day that we're in. And all the pressures, all the false teaching, all the persecutions and oppositions, we must stay faithful. When we have Jesus, we have everything. He's greater. He's greater than anything this world can give you. He's greater than any desire that's uh, at want in your life. He is greater than any person, place, or possession. Stay faithful to Jesus. So to do that... Submit to your spiritual leaders. Pray for them. 
Pray for the church family and do God's will. That's what we're called to do. Now, maybe today we need to talk to God about that and confess some things or pray about some things or pray for His help in this. And so I'm going to give us a chance to do that in our invitation time. The altar's open to come pray. Now, very importantly, there could be some in this room who have never accepted Jesus. You may have a head knowledge of Him. You believe that God exists. You believe in Jesus, His work. But you've never truly repented of your sins and surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord. You know how you know that? Because you just simply don't do the will of God. That's not even on your radar. You never have. And I'll tell you this. Today, if you're willing to confess your sin and, and believe on the Lord Jesus and confess Him as your Savior and Lord, He'll save you. He'll take your sin away. He'll make you righteous. He'll change your life. He'll enable you to live out life to do His will. And as we stand to sing, I'd ask you to come down front here and just say to me, I need Jesus as my Savior. Some might need to join the church during this time. I invite you to come. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for its encouragement. Thank you, Lord, for enabling me to speak it. I pray that it's been received. And now I pray, Lord God, it will have great positive effect upon your people. Lord, have your way now as we think on this and as we begin to respond in obedience to this truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.